firstly contextualizing the arrest, but also taking it in in general in terms of our security services? Uh, for anyone who've read uh, the past two reports we've published on police criminality on criminality within uh, the police, it shouldn't come as a surprise uh, to hear about this case. Uh, we published uh, Broken Blue Line in uh, 2011, uh, detailing instances, some instances uh, of uh, involvement of police in violent and serious crimes such as armed robbery and so on. Uh, giving recommendations, and we did a follow-up report uh, because uh, there were concerns that uh, these crimes were not uh, in any way um, being committed uh, to a lesser extent. And we followed up with a broken blue line report in 2015, uh, detailing also uh, the increasing uh, involvement of police in criminal, violent criminal behavior, and also giving as well uh, policy proposals in that. And one of them was... Uh, you know, uh, the sixth proposal uh, in the second report as well as in the first report was to say that uh, the process of appointing police officers should be depoliticized and that uh, only people who are fit enough to serve and who have been properly vetted and are fit, uh, considered fit enough to serve in the police should be employed. And you can see uh, that this was one of the instances where this process was not followed. If you if you follow some of the allegations about this uh, latest development, okay. Perhaps let's go back several steps. You say um, appointments should be depoliticized, but then are we saying the reasons that uh, police are involved in these crimes is because of the politi- politicization of uh, police deployment? But also, uh, it's important to understand what then draws police to acts of criminality and to what extent you say it, it, it happens um, to a, a, a larger scale than to a leg- lesser extent. What is the extent to which police are involved? Well, look, in the two reports, we do mention that, you know, we, we only uh, looked a short period of three months over a period of three months for each report. And that we didn't go, uh, we did not have the resources to go further. But we did say that if we had gone further, we would have found that uh, the cases of such involvement, they are not isolated incidents. There seems to be a culture uh, within the police of, uh, and we are not tarring all policemen with the same brush. There are dedicated police officers that we know about. And, uh, but we do know that there is a cabal within the, the, the SAPS that is involved in systematic uh, uh, criminal behavior using, uh, in most instances, uh, weapons uh, belonging to the state to commit their crimes. So if they're not committing them themselves, they are then assisting other uh, criminals outside the SAPS to commit those crimes by giving them uh, things such as uh, equipment that is supposed to be only used by officials. Uh, that much we identified, and we, in those two reports, I must say that we've had, uh, you know, we've had, a, you know, we've come to a collision course with some authorities who said that this cannot be possibly true. But management of police has come around to say that they are aware of this and they acknowledge that there are these uh, rotten apples that need to be rooted out of the SAPS. Mm. And. We need to also understand what is the sphere of their power and influence. And I'm glad to hear you say we're not painting all uh, policemen with the same brush, but we also do have to have some kind of understanding. When we talk about a cabal, is it just... uh, 
the cream, the creme de la creme, the, the cream at the top? Or, or is it pervasive? Does it have its tentacles from the bottom up or, you know, top to bottom? Well, look, just to give you an instance, the last time that uh, um, a parliamentary monitoring group published uh, a list of convicted SAPS uh, people by by uh, rank. You know, it's all the way up from major general to your constable. So it it's not only limited to to a certain rank or whether it's uh, higher up in the higher echelons or uh, lower uh, down. It's all kinds of people uh, from lower down to the higher echelons who are involved in criminality. That's why we say this case is not an isolated incident. It does seem that if you are a police officer, you are, especially in the intelligence uh, division of the police, that you are privy to very, very sensitive information such as movement of uh, cash in transit vehicles that you can use uh, or abuse to your disadvantage and the advantages of your associates if you have those uh, people who are involved in such criminal activities outside that you can share such information with if you are so criminally inclined. And that's one of the things about uh, our insistence, you know, in one of the policy proposals on the, you know, on vetting, on proper vetting procedures for people who are supposed to be recruited into the police so that you have very, very minimal uh, chance of these kinds of occurrences happening. Mm. And in this case, um, according to IPERT, this police captain um, who was arrested is accused of uh, defrauding the SAPS um, Secret Service account. So uh, that sounds also in itself uh, a very dangerous practice in the sense that one would imagine that the Secret Service is or should be impenetrable. And in this case, we understand that there was um, curtains for safe houses and blinds that were ordered and the amount was uh, ballooned. So why should it be so easy that something like the Secret Service, when generally we think about it, is something that is so highly um you know, policed and has so many checks and balances for one uh, to be able to act in such a manner. Yes, uh, if you if you, if uh, so, you look at uh, the history of the criminal justice system, you'll see that it's been in a shambles for a very long time. And one of the reasons is that uh, our crime-fighting agencies have been used largely uh, in the past few years, not for their. Uh, uh, primary purpose, which is to protect the South African public, uh, but rather to fight, to wage, uh, so to say, uh, political battles. And this has left, left them very, very compromised in terms of carrying out their, their primary functions and duties. And that's one of the reasons uh, 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 that I can uh, give. But also, you have people uh, who will be recruited uh, into the service, not properly vetted, who will be criminally inclined and use their positions to really carry out their nefarious activities. So, but the primary thing is that uh, our criminal justice system has been so comp- compromised uh, carrying out other functions other than what they really should be doing according to the Constitution of the Republic. All right. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Uh, that there is uh, Cohen uh, uh, Apologies for that. That is uh, Kerwin Lubona from the head, who's the head of the Center for Risk Analysis at the Institute of Race Relations.